Welcome to Latest Test Scotland podcast. I'm Henry Hepburn, news editor at Test Scotland, and our guest today is Adam Black. Adam is a teacher from Scotland who, in the 2019 New Year's Honours list, received the British Empire Medal for raising awareness of stammering. In a piece for Tez last year, he wrote about growing up with a stutter. His parting message to teachers was, always embrace your quirks, they make you who you are. Nobody told me that as a child and I really wish they had. Adam, welcome along. Hi Henry, thanks for having me on. Great to have you on, Adam. Um, I was wondering if you could go all the way back and if you could maybe tell me a little bit, bit about your own school days, how they were for you, it's something we ask all our guests and uh, it's, it's always quite interesting just to hear um, you know, how things went for you when you were when you were at school. Yeah, sure. Well, from an educational point and a social point, I loved school. Uh, I loved being with my friends. I loved learning. You know, I really uh, enjoy being in that sort of environment. And actually now when I look back, you know, the cliche, the best days of your life, you know, they really sort of were. Mm-hmm. From a social point of view, they were great fun. And... I've got fond memories of that side of school, social and the education. But from a stuttering point of view, I didn't enjoy school. I really struggled and I felt conflicted. And I I just felt I could have got more from it and I felt my stutter held me back. So an example of that would be in the class if things were asked or questions were asked or there was a game or whatever it was I felt like I never could fully join in so although I had this social life as part of school the actual classroom environment I found really tricky and you know looking back at school reports the ones my parents had kept there was always things you know Adam could join in more quiet in the class reserved in the class and that was the two sides to me in school there was the 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 one that who I knew who I was my friends and then there was the one that my stutter sort of made me be. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's a twofold answer for me. I loved it, but also I sort of hated it as well. And you've written a number of pieces for us. I was looking back over some of them today, and I was I remember that one of in one of them you said that it was actually you were at the age of nine before you really were aware that you you had a stutter and that it might cause some issues. So how why was it only at the age of nine that there was that sort of awareness? Was there something particular that happened or was it a slow burning sort of realisation of, of what was happening? Yeah. Do you know what, Henry? I'm a twin. So I had a twin brother and we were in the same class in school. And I don't know if he protected me or I don't know if he, he used to answer for me or whatever it was at a young age. But I remember vividly we were reading... Charlotte's Web in the class and it was that classic thing you know everyone's reading a paragraph and just going round the classroom and I'm scanning ahead thinking alright I know all the words in that that's fine when it was coming up to my piece and I just could not say any of them I just felt like I just couldn't get the words out and it was so apparent what it was and the teacher sort of glossed over it and moved on and that was the first moment where I thought wow this whatever this is this this bit of me that wasn't good I didn't like that and it was almost uh, as soon as I was aware that it just became more pronounced and then I started to hide from it more and that's when you know those feelings I just mentioned came into play so is that that's really interesting so that awareness of it you think made it more pronounced yeah most definitely <laughs> most definitely they talk about sort of role specific stammering so it's sort of a 
psychological thing where somebody, like an actor, Emily Blunt's a good example. Mm -hmm. She's a famous person who stutters. And when she's in role, she doesn't stutter. Mm -hmm. When she's just Emily Blunt, she does. Mm -hmm. So up to that point, although I wasn't in a role, I was unaware of it. So I was sort of in a different role. And then as Mm -hmm. soon as I... As soon as I was aware of it, I became Adam Black, person who stutters. Mm-hmm. I couldn't shake that. So if that if that makes sense, yeah. it really became pronounced, and it was more it's more the hiding from it that makes stuttering tricky. You know, the stuttering the stuttering bothered me, but but it was more the things that made me not do that mm-hmm. bothered me the most. You know, be it you know not attending the party or I don't know not signing up for a particular course or not doing whatever. That's what bothered me. So you would actually avoid certain situations just to, to so that you didn't have to face certain situations, you would just choose to avoid them altogether? Yeah. Yeah. All the time, all the time. I mean, some things like I used to really struggle saying my name, you know, because it's so personal to me. It's the one thing you can't change. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with other aspects of stuttering, you could substitute words, you know, change them. So you maybe wouldn't have to block on a certain word. And I remember thinking, when I was about 16, I went to get a job in a spa shop. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'm never going to be able to speak and say, I'm Adam, I'm here for the job interview. So I remember walking in with my school folder, and I'd written on it in a permanent marker, Adam Black, like massive big letters, and I held it sort of close to my chest. Uh-huh. And I said, Guy, I'm here for an interview. And he went, What's your name? Oh, it's Adam Black. I can see it. So it became like, you know, it became like a gag. You know, I was carrying about something to help me get through a certain situation. It just wasn't very nice. You know, yeah. it's a little thing, but. So this was a constant mental, even if maybe I'm at quite a low level, sometimes there's constant mental stress, mental stress of you trying to find out ingenious ways to avoid certain situations, to avoid saying certain things, whether it's your name or something else altogether. Yeah. That's it. It was so tiring. It's too tiring. I always think, you know, about the chess player. Uh, I was always a good few steps ahead of who I was speaking to, mm-hmm. and never fully felt I was in a, a conversation because I was always thinking about what I had to say. That's true. Really... I never liked being, yeah, I never liked being self-centered like that. Mm-hmm. You know, only focusing on me and what I had to say. Certainly, those early days, and you know, going to college and uni before I found the therapy approach that worked for me. Um, that was it was always on my mind in a negative way. That's something I never really given any thought to that uh, that you might approach something like conversation in a different way because, like you say, instead of being in the moment and maybe listening listening to what that person's saying, one hundred percent, you're you're thinking you're trying to anticipate what they're going to say next. So you're only you're not giving full attention to what they're saying at that particular moment. Yeah, 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 yeah that's it. And like things like I remember going from a college interview, I left school after fifth year. I got the hires I needed and just wanted out. And I remember going for the college interview and thinking, oh, how nice it would be to have this interview and not worry about what I was going to say, mm-hmm. you know, not worry about how I was going to speak and like everyone else that was sitting there. And that was all I was thinking about an interview. I wasn't actually thinking about the questions they were asking me. <laughs> so. You know, I wasn't thinking about my answers. I was thinking about, right, what can I say? Right, I can't say that, so I'll change that. I'll maybe make a wee joke about that. So, you, you know, it wasn't nice knowing you could have done better or yeah. you could have answered something better. So, yeah. So, yeah, sorry. 
answer your question. The social aspect of school I liked and the, the learning I loved. But the other side, the sort of underbelly of my school life was the, the star was always seemingly in a negative fashion. Yeah. <laughs> so once you, once you, as you say, at about the age of nine or so, you became particularly aware of it. From then on, yeah. was did you feel you could never fully relax into school, into lessons, or was there were there ups and downs? Were there times when you were in the moment and you were doing something you enjoyed and it was fine, or was there a constant sort of stress there? You know what? In primary school, it was it was much better. You know, it's a different environment. You've got one wee class, and you know everyone's really pals in that class. So primary school was okay. Some some rough times, and but on the whole, people looked after you. You know, be it the teachers, the support staff, whatever. And people looked after me. It was going to secondary school and amalgamating all the different primaries into one, and. Uh, that's where it became trickier because all of a sudden I was maybe in a class with only one or two people that I knew mm -hmm. and actually maybe they weren't my friends yeah. so I, you know, you're forced to then make it and that's when it became tricky mm -hmm. um, and I was, it was pretty much on my mind daily in secondary school especially in subjects you know, I did uh, a, I did a German class as my, my foreign language in school and you know any speaking and that was just horrible mm -hmm. And I was always thinking in English, all right, there's a solo talk coming up. And I don't know, it was just constant in my mind. <laughs> what are they going to get me to do next? And just for context, I mean, what, for people who don't know you, what's, what, what were the years you were at school, just so they know sort of what period we're talking about? So we'd have been, started secondary in, in the late 90s and, and then into, I think I left in 2000. Five something like that. Late nineties, early early nineties. And what was the awareness like in schools now? Is it? Do you think? Uh, is it? Has it changed a lot since? Um, do, in terms of how teachers approached your stutter and the, the issues that arose from it. Yeah, do you know what? There was another guy in my year called Ian, and he also stuttered. Mm -hmm. And one of the art teachers actually said to him when he was stuttering. He said, would it help you if I slapped you across the face? Really? So I I assume, you know, to like force the word out. Mm -hmm. You know, now, and obviously an adult asking a child in school, you know, will I slap you across the face? Mm -hmm. I just can't imagine it happening now. So like, uh, from that point of view, yeah, I think the education is probably better because nobody would say something. And that, that would have scarred him, you know, an adult. I don't, I don't want to use the word threatening because I never thought there was malice in it. I remember sitting there thinking, that is absolutely awful. I mean, what's it doing? I'm trying to work out what was going through someone's head there. Was it a really terrible attempt at being funny or what was what was the what was going on there? I don't I really don't know. I don't know, but certainly, you know, the class turned on him at that point because, you know, he was a good a good bloke. Mm -hmm. People knew it was outrageous. Mm -hmm. There was things like, you know, teachers when I was I remember going from to my first fifth year class and it was new teachers, new subject, all that. And I was late, there was a mix-up in the class. And I walked in, the teacher didn't know me, and they asked my name, and I really struggled with it. And they obviously were uncomfortable. So they said, oh, have you forgotten your name? So it's little things like that. Well, no, obviously I've not forgotten my name. Like, it's just, you're now drawing attention to the fact I'm really struggling here. 
Yeah. Everyone's laughing because they feel a bit uncomfortable. So it's just little things like that. Yeah. And I'd like to think that wouldn't happen now. That there'd be a greater awareness. There's maybe a, a better way of sharing now. You know, uh, you know, pupil profiles are are bigger. People can access it on CMS, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just that maybe that wee bit better for people. Mm-hmm. And certainly from my own part, that's what's really driven me to do the sort of awareness campaign that mm-hmm. I've done for. And was there a was there a, anything that sort of changed things in terms of your experience at school for the better? Was there a particular teacher or teachers who who made a difference? I mean, you've talked about some of your negative experiences there. Was there was there a flip side to that? Yeah, I mean, honestly, there were so many good teachers, and the starter was never a problem. It just it was just all about me as a candidate, about me as a pupil. Never played into it. I remember going to speech therapy and it might have been standard grade P. I would have missed the same class for like six weeks. The teacher was totally relaxed about it. She said, You go and do that, that's important. Never generally for being off that class. So there was a lot of support for me from a lot of good people. And but in terms of the the actual support for the starter, you know, nobody pulled me aside and said you know, it's going to be all right. Just you keep doing what you're doing. Don't change. Don't hide. Nobody did that. Mm-hmm. That's maybe what I needed, which is, you know, hiding a part of yourself. It's as much as a neurological condition. You know, I can't change it. You know, I wouldn't go up and ask somebody to, um, I don't know, change the freckles on their face. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can't help that. So I needed, I probably needed to hear that in school. Um, so but it never happened. But again, I think that was just a lack of understanding on the, on the behalf of other teachers about would they have known it was a neurological thing? Did they think it was nervous based like so many people do? Or I don't know. And you've obviously gone on to become a teacher yourself. At what point did you decide that that was the career you wanted to pursue? Well, you know, in 2007, I joined a therapy programme for stutterers run by people who stutter. So it was a really unique programme that there's no professionals involved, it's volunteer run. And the sort of ethos is it's advice is the form of nostalgia. So we're all people to start, we all know what it's like. And that was the first time I've been in an uh, environment like that. Uh, and they basically gave me some tips to do it. So a way of breathing, some weapons they might be called, some tools to you stop the counter, the holding back, to counter the holding back from stuttering. And also the biggest change was actually you, you don't need to hide this anymore. You know, you this is part of you and you can do it in a really dignified way, really controlled manner. And that was what changed everything for me. Because I, I, I was going down a path where I was looking at jobs, looking at careers that didn't involve speaking. You know, would it be an admin job, an office job, whatever it would be, but something that would involve talking? And after that, in 2007, I immediately looked to requalify as a teacher because I really wanted to speak. I really wanted to do that. I thought I had something to give. And I qualified in 2000 and, and, and 2009, 2010, that year group. Right? And I had primary to start with, and then I love primary teaching, 
a lovely part of a class environment, the same people for a full year. You really felt that you could make a difference when you get to know them, you know the families, and you can be involved in the community. Did that for five years, and then I got my master's degree during that time and additional support. So again, looking at that additional need point of view that I was so interested in with my own needs, and then I moved into specialist education. And again, that just actually helped me grow more as a professional and grow more as sort of awareness raising. There were so many things I was passionate about and special. And then I got dual qualification in ASN while I was working there, which enabled me to move into secondary for the first time. And that was a whole new challenge by itself. Again, kids are kids. They're really good, whether or not they're, they're five or they're 15. And especially when it comes to the starter, they're, they're just as, as relaxed about, about that. If you're relaxed with them. And then just recently, in fact, four weeks ago, I started my first promoted post. So I'm principal teacher of ASN now at Calder Glen High. And I was worried about that this next stage in my career because, well, I'm going to be managing people. It's a team of 10 or 11. I'm managing. How's the. Stuttering going to hold up with them. And it's been absolutely fine. Again, if you're honest about it and you face it head on, then people don't bother. So, yeah, so that career, going from being in the first classroom and nervous about what the pupils think and then being nervous about parents' things. And, and now I'm at the other side where I'm, I was a bit nervous about managing staff. And everyone's great. <laughs> well, you've actually written that, that you wrote one of your, you've written a number of pieces for us um, on a, a range of topics, but. Um, you know, once that uh, having a stutter has actually helped you as a teacher. Could you go into that? Could you give explain that? Yeah. A yeah. No, I think that being on the other side and struggling a wee bit with you know an additional need it certainly opened my eyes up to other people that have needs. So as a teacher now, when I see somebody that maybe has a visual stress or has dyslexia or has ADHD or is opposition defiance, or when I worked in you know proper specialist schools, you know, the range of needs that were there, it certainly helped me think, well, actually, there are things you can do to help. And if I don't know what they are, I'm going to find out. Now, for me, why am I saying that? Well, when I was in school, teachers were good with me, but I don't think they ever understood my condition. So I've always thought, well, if I don't understand something, I'm going to find out. So that's really helped me having that personal input. But, but also from a parent's point of view, you know, when I'm meeting a parent and there's an obvious stutter there, you know, they can see me speaking in a different fashion to them. And then it sort of, it makes them realise that actually there's somebody here that's watching my kids, that's looking after my child, that's, that sort of knows what it's like. And, I, and at first I thought it was going to be a weakness. I really did. I was, I remember always going for fluency at parents night and I'm going to be as fluent as I can. And then I thought, well, I don't need to, because that's not who I am. And I think it's really helped. I mean, a parent said to me once, a little boy called Isaac, who I taught, and he had an identification of autism, quite a recent one. And the parents have said to me, do you know what? Without you being Isaac's teacher, it, it gives us a little bit of hope that he will achieve something. He will get a profession. He'll have a career. And that was just lovely to hear, you know, that it wasn't viewed as a weakness. Um, it was viewed as something positive, like you know, I'm doing something, and it's it's inspiring, perhaps, 
don't pay anything on my child can do it too. Definitely helped me as a teacher. And have you had any pupils who've had a stutter in your time as a teacher and how has that gone? Yeah, well, funnily enough, I've never directly taught anyone, but within the schools I've taught in, I've met several. And I also, when I worked in Glasgow, I used to have a little hub. So if any other schools had a, a child, then I used to speak to them as well and their parents. And it's just been great. And I'm, I've just given the advice that I wanted to hear. And now as an adult, I will look back on it and reflect. Like, well, actually, I needed to hear them say, it's okay. You're, it's fine to start. It's okay to be different. Don't change. Don't hide from it. Face it head on. Ask for the support. I would have loved somebody to tell me that actually, you know, ask somebody, is it okay if I don't read out loud? Is it okay if I don't do this in front of the class? Can I do it on a one-to-one later? Nobody ever. I didn't know that was an option. Mm. It would have been so much better. So, yeah, I've met several, and that's the, just the advice I give. This is part of you. Don't change it. I presume that's advice not that you'd give not only to uh, you know, a child with a stutter, but um, to, to anyone who's got something in their lives that they feel is going to be an obstacle to achieving what they'd like to achieve. Um, it's, it's, it's quite universal advice almost. Yeah, it has become that. And it never set off that way. But the, the thing, the more awareness raising work I do, the more people say to me, oh, do you know what? I've got a wee something that really helped me. There's a, a girl that I know used to get embarrassed and blush. And she texts me after one of my newspaper articles to say, actually, what you said really hit home with her, that she gets blushed and she gets embarrassed, but she's not going to let it stop her do something. I thought, you know, you can, you can relate it to anything so small in people's life. And to her, blushing was massive. Mm-hmm. She used to get really embarrassed and self-conscious about it. So. And what I've, what I've actually realised with stuttering is that I care about it because it's part of me, but other people actually don't really care. Like they acknowledge it and they're interested in it, but they're just happy to go on with their lives. And that, you know, it takes a bit of time to, to understand that, that we're all dealing with stuff. You know, people are really dealing with stuff. And, you know, I'm, I think about it a lot because it's part of me, but actually people are quite happy just to have a quick conversation and move on with their life. <laughs> I guess that's, that's another quite universal message. You know, I think it's always the way that you have, if you have a, a worry in your life, whatever that worry is, that uh, it can be, it can seem in the moment quite a huge thing to you, and then you're almost taken aback when other people barely notice it. You know, that uh, so your perception of things can often be far different to the perception of the people around you. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, um, you have done a lot of campaigning work as well and I think that was largely what led to you uh, receiving your honour last year. Can you tell us a little bit about what was being recognised there and what led to that point? Yeah, so in 2007 I did my first newspaper article where I sort of shared my story in an attempt to raise awareness because what I thought about was stuttering. The only people that I could think of growing up that stuttered were Porky Pig and then you know, Arkwright from Open All Hours. So it was for so characters that was for comic comic effect, basically. For comic mm-hmm. effect, you know, sort, you know, 
showing stuff to be a comedy thing, something that's okay to laugh at. You know, thought actually I'm going to maybe get my story out there and show people that you know we can. It's okay to stutter, and actually you can hold down a professional job and all this sort of stuff. I did the first one, never thought anything of it, and I quite liked it. Did a few more, and it just actually became a bit of a hobby. So I think in 1998, 90, newspaper articles raising awareness of stuttering. So now I've got the, the target of 100. <laughs> that, was never, that, was, that was never the goal. Um, so I have two away, which is great. I've done loads of television, loads of radio, just just putting stuttering in a positive fashion. That's all I want to do is make it normal for people. I would l- love to hear people stuttering on the radio. I would love to hear a news a news presenter or a TV presenter who stutters. You know, I, I can't think of any that, that do. So I think there's there's a lot of diversity work there and might not have somebody that stutters presenting the news, you know, to a point or doing the sport. I think that would be a sign of progress where you hear someone, whether it's in a fictional, non-fiction setting, but the stutter is incidental. It's not they're on TV or they're you know, they're they're being present as, presented as a person who stutters and that's what we're here to talk about. But that just happens to be a part of their makeup and, you know, get yeah. on with it sort of thing. So, yeah, because I, I'm only, I'm asked on radio shows or television to talk about stuttering, you're right. Mm-hmm. I'm not asked on to talk about t- teaching or my views on, mm-hmm. you know, inclusive pedagogy mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm asked on for those things. Um and even like quite recently, I guess it's maybe not that recent now, but uh, one of the Harry Potter films mm. is um, dot, uh, one of the professors. He has um, Lord Voldemort in his hair in his head. Right, you know, yes, yes. And of course, you know he's he's a baddie and it's That's pretty heavy symbolism, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's all these things. It'd be nice, you know. What, why doesn't the hero star? <laughs> so yeah, so there's lots of things around that. So, um, and again, again, there's a lot of diversity work across the board, but obviously my focus is on this one particular issue. But, you know, starting, it does affect 1% of the adult population. Um, and that, that number has actually increased 1% for a long time. And I was saying it could be as much as 3%. And when you look at young children, it's up to 9%. So it's a, it's a hell of a lot of people. And are you aware of any, any characters or, you know television personalities, actors, whatever, who who have appeared uh, in, in programmes where the stuttering is incidental. It's, it's not part of why they're there. It's just something that happens to be part of them. Is, is there yeah. no example you can think of of that at all? Do you know, there was there was a show that we were... I wasn't really watching it. I've got a wife called Rachel. She was watching something, and it was some sort of cop drama. And there was a lawyer brought in, and he stuttered. Mm-hmm. And it was it was just a very quick scene in in a police cell or whatever, an interview room. He maybe said about thirty seconds of words. You know, the dialogue was really short, but there was an obvious stutter there. Mm-hmm. And whether or not he stuttered or the character, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's the one and only time that I've ever seen it. And it's and I, don't, I don't even remember what the show was. But yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, that would be that would be the whole. And, and certainly in the classroom, that's what I've always tried to do, show that, you know, teachers are not robots. Mm. And I do speak differently and you will hear me saying words a certain way. Mm. And I think 
the, the more that happens, the, the, the more people that hear that, then the better it is. And you've obviously had, uh, you know, you've been teaching for more than a decade now. You've been uh, across all sectors, primary, secondary, additional support needs. Have you got a favourite moment as a teacher? Um, something that really sums up why you do the job that you do? Is there anything that comes to mind? Oh, I know, it's a great question. Um, do, you know, do you know what it was? It was just little things. I really, really loved my time in the little specialist school I worked in. Really small environment. There were 30 children, three classroom teachers. And there was something special about it. It felt like a little community within that school. It never felt like I was going to school. It just felt like I was going to do a job to help people. And I guess that would be my most favourite time in teaching so far. I was there for a couple of years and just loved it. One moment, it's hard to pick. It's, it's hard to pick. Um, obviously, that first moment when you're in your first class, that's always nice. Um, loving this new job, loving being in a different post and being promoted different. I'm enjoying that. But yeah, I guess def definitely that school for those couple of years, you know, we were at 3 HMI all together. Uh, we were all new starts at the same time. And it, it just felt, felt different. It didn't feel like going to school. It felt like going to a self-help group, helping the children, helping each other, helping the parents. It really was a special school. Yeah. <laughs> and what would you say is the best thing about being a teacher? Well, I love the no two days are the same. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, is, that is the best bit. I love, I love working with young people. Uh, that is really good, but I love that I don't. When I go in on a Monday morning, yeah, I've got a rough idea of what might happen. I might be called away to do this or that, or somebody might come and I've had a bad weekend and I'll need to spend a bit of time with them, get them on the straight and narrow. I love that aspect of them. It's not just your, your average nine to five, there's no TV adverts to see. Have you any thoughts on what the essential question, what, what makes a great teacher? Well, my view on it might not be the same as everyone else's. <laughs> but for me, working in specialist and you know, having different qualifications and additional needs, I'm looking for somebody that sees their job first as include, so trying to include all. I think that's a sign of a really good teacher. It's not somebody that had, you know, pass a child out of the classroom, somebody else to to help pass them down to the base for the first time of struggle. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for a really good teacher to try first. Um, well, he's huge. You know, personality is the biggest thing, and just generally somebody that wants to be there. Mm -hmm. And my three things: somebody that that include inclusion at the heart. If you get the inclusion part right, then all the learning takes care of itself. Mm -hmm. Uh, actually your behaviour management is easy because if you're including all there shouldn't really be anything to have a, a, a bad behaved classroom personality is huge and then absolutely yeah, somebody that wants to be there <laughs> and you mentioned earlier that you've, you've taken on a new role, role so you are managing people now is that in any I know you're quite early stages with that but has that in any way changed how you view the role of teacher when you've got you've now got that different vantage point um, and different set of responsibilities um, has, has it changed your perspective at all? Yeah do you know I was really I thought about this for quite a while when I found out I had been successful in the interview and we've all had good bosses and not so good bosses if you want to phrase it like that and I, I just remember thinking well I'm just going to go in and look for people's 
and I'm going to use those strengths. So that's definitely what I've been doing. And we've got a fantastic team in the ASN um, base in Public Glen. Loads of strengths, loads of qualities. And at the moment, that's what I'm focusing on. It's what our team does really well. Um, certainly, as a classroom teacher, that's what I would be looking for a new boss to do, is to find my strength and use it to the best of my and their ability. That's what I'm attempting to do. And with a smile as well. And I can't, uh, I know as much as we'd all like to forget it, I suppose I can't really get to the end of my chat with you without asking you about COVID and how it's all been for you as uh, as a teacher and, and beyond being a teacher, if you like. But how's how's the year been for you and your colleagues and, and the, the kids that you work with? Do you know, since we've been back, it was all very weird, sort of March to June, when we were all at home. But we got through that, we did our best with pupils. Being back in school has certainly been easier. You know, you feel you've got a handle on it a little bit better. You can you can try learning. You can keep people safe. You can, you know, keep up with routines, which is great. But it has been strange. When I first went back, obviously I was in my last school. You know, I was wearing uh, a, a, a face mask, hand gelling, and a hand, hand on gloves. You know, I was paranoid about it. I've got two wee boys at home. I thought, I'm, I don't want to bring anything back. You know, I was wearing latex gloves and hand-gelling the gloves. It was ridiculous, really. You know, I mellowed a little bit. But it is always in our mind. You know, it's become normal to see people wearing masks. It's become normal to see people squirting hand-gel every two seconds. And, um, and in my work, we do have to get a little bit closer than two metres at times. You know, um, if it's over that 15-minute threshold, um, then, then you can do that if you're working one-to-one. As long as you're masked up, so it's just a case of keeping the boundary as far away as you can feasibly, but you can still do your job. So it's it's odd. I don't think it'll ever be normal, mm-hmm. but certainly we're just getting on with it as best we can. And do you see things getting back to close to how they were before, within within a few months, all being well, or is, do you think there'll be some things that will have permanently changed? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I'd love it to go back to normal, but. Are we ever going to squeeze 400 pupils into an assembly hall again? I'm not sure. You know, will that happen by April? Probably not. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's a really good question. Really great unknown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and just, just one last uh, little question that we like to ask people. Um, have you got a favourite fictional teacher? And why and, <laughs> and why have you picked who you've picked? <laughs> yeah. Do you know, mine is... Uh, uh, in between us, you've ever seen that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Greg Davis plays Mister G- Gilbert. Yeah, and yeah, a memorable character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just love him because, he, of course, he's so far from what a teacher would be. Lots of dog teachers in there, and I just love that. I've, I've met loads of teachers a little bit like him. Yeah. <laughs> so he's absolutely my favourite. <laughs> Is there a particular um, episode that you remember that, that just made you laugh or just resonated? Um, uh, as you say, it's probably an exaggerated version of any teacher that is really out there, you'd hope, anyway. But, uh, uh, <laughs> well, there's, there's, there's the one where they have a, a work experience booked uh-huh. and Neil, the tall one, who's the main character again? Uh, uh, is it Simon? No, Simon is the one. Simon, it's the wee guy with the briefcase. Yes, uh, yeah. Yeah the, yeah, the guy with the briefcase, uh, Neil the tall boy, they 
get muddled up with each other's work experience. Mm-hmm. And Neil ends up going to the office and the other boy goes to the, the car garage. And Mr. Gilbert has the chance to fix it. And uh-huh. he decides not to. <laughs> <laughs> just just out of pure badness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just out uh, yeah. Just to spite, spite I just thought it was really funny. Yeah. <laughs> As you say, a good teacher in a comedy setting, maybe not so much in real life. <laughs> but listen, that's been really great, Adam. Really enjoyed talking to you. Um, you've got, you know, a great inspirational story there. And it sounds like you're making a fantastic uh, career for yourself and having a great influence on so many people, colleagues uh, and, uh, and pupils alike. So... Thanks for all you do and thanks for, for taking the time to talk to us today. No, I appreciate you having me on and let me spread some more stuff and awareness. Thank you. Thanks again.